The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body, supplying the much-needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Welcome, listeners, one and all, to our Father's Heart podcast. If you are jumping in for the first time, you are actually at the conclusion of a five-part series entitled, Now That the Holidays Are Over. I would highly recommend, before you continue on listening to this particular podcast, that you listen to the four previous ones before going into this particular episode. If I wanted to simplify this whole series, I could have just started with this episode, but I actually wanted to preempt this particular episode, which is basically my conclusion on this whole matter. I call it my holiday take. I I, Even when I uh, share this on my website, ourfathersheart.org, I even recommend to people that are reading it to look at the previous um, articles, uh, regarding the different holidays, because it would be hard to understand, I would think, my holiday take, had you not understood how I came to that, like what facts, what historical evidence brought me to such a conclusion. So again, if you have been listening to our Father's Heart podcast for the last four episodes, you would you would be right where you need to be. But if you haven't been, then I suggest you listen to those again. And in our last podcast, I, I kind of left with a question or several questions. And, and they were, what are the God-ordained holidays? How many of them are there? And I would think that most people listening might not know what they are. I'm sure that there are a few. You, you know what the big seven feasts of the Lord are, some of you, but others you may have not. And so then I posted another question. Why do you not know what they are or how many of them there are? But you know the pagan holidays so well. So just to answer that question and before continuing on, the feasts of the Lord are the Feast of Passover. Then comes the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then comes Feast of First Fruits. Those are the first three feasts. And then 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, you have the Feast of Pentecost. You might have heard that. Then later on, around the October month, you have the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles all within a 15-day period, those three. That's just to answer the last question, and I, I would just challenge you to research and study those feasts and get to know them, get to understand what is the prophetic significance of those feasts? How are they tied to our Lord and Savior, our risen Savior, Jesus I think that would do a lot more good for you spiritually than participating in the holidays that we 
participate in today. So with that being shared, <clears throat> let us let's just consider just continue on and consider my holiday take. I always like to bring in the scriptures when I teach, when I when I uh, share. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'll start with Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. That was the challenge that Joshua had given to the Israelites before they were entering into, actually it was near, near the end of his days and, and they had already entered into the promised land. But he was imploring them, put away the gods of your fathers, meaning the gods on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, specifically Egypt, and serve the Lord. If he said it to the Israelites of old, the, the people of God in the Old Covenant, then I believe that it is a biblical principle that applies to all the people of God, including the people of God in the New Covenant. So for me, what, what is the real issue in all of this? And for me, I believe it's about holiness. Peter the Apostle said in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14-16, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, quote, Be holy, for I am holy. So basically, Peter is advising us not to walk in our previous ways, not to walk in our previous thoughts, our previous lust, like we did before we were born again in Jesus Christ. Because at this point, we should not be ignorant anymore. That was our only excuse back then. We did things wrong. We, we participated in things against God out of sheer and plain ignorance. But now, now we know that we are commanded to walk in a holy manner. In, in just some of our behaviors? No, in all behavior, just as it is written in the days of old. Well, the days of old are the, are the, the words that are found in the, new, in the Old Covenant. For instance, Leviticus 11, 44 through 45, it says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall, therefore, consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So I think it should be understood 
and I'm, I'm trying to highlight it and emphasize this, that from Old Covenant to New Covenant, the call for his people to be holy, because he is holy, is unchanged. We see it clearly in the Old Covenant, and, the, and Peter the Apostle just repeated it again for those that are in the New Covenant. In the same manner that he did not want the Israelites to participate in spiritual idolatry with other nations, he also expects his new covenant church not to participate in pagan rituals and practices that honor, worship, and venerate other gods. It doesn't matter how old in human history they may be, it is still considered spiritual idolatry. Consider Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul, the apostle said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The new covenant church is to be transformed through revelation. Revelation is what renews the mind. As our minds are renewed, our thinking changes. And as our thinking changes, we then walk differently than we did before. The revelation came to us. When we walk according to the revelation, then we are our behavior, our actions, our walk, our talk, prove what is the good, what is well-pleasing, what is the complete and perfect will of God. The problem that was in my life before I came into such revelation, and I think it's the problem I see in many Christians, is that Many of us don't want to repent. It's a very simple word. It's not complicated. It just means to change your mind. When you change your mind, you change your actions. You change your talk. You change your walk. Because your mind on a certain issue has changed. So it manifests in your behavior. It manifests in your um, talk. It manifests in your actions. Many of us don't want to change our ways, and yet God is commanding us to be holy in all manner of behavior and godliness. And this is a command that we must respond to. We cannot ignore when he is so direct and explicit in his instructions toward us. Now, there is no doubt that he has separated us from the world. There is no doubt he has overcome sin. There is no doubt that he has made us priests and kings to rule and reign with him. But we need to walk these truths out. We must walk separated from the world. Being in it, yes, but we're not of it. And unfortunately, some of us, brothers and sisters, I still consider them brothers and sisters, we, they look no different than the rest of the world. 
Now, we must walk holy. That means blameless. That means without sin. But always walking humbly and continually in a state of repentance, asking for forgiveness as as we stumble and as we make our, our mistakes because we're still in the flesh. That's that's completely understood. But as we continue to work with him and as we continue within within our hearts to, to correct issues and, and behaviors of ourselves that are not quite right, and we, we ask for forgiveness, we ask for the, the power of his grace to walk in ways that are pleasing to him, He's conforming us, little by little, day by day, into his image, the image of his perfection, which is Jesus. We must walk as priests and kings, not pseudo-prophets and pseudo-apostles that hypocritically say and expect one thing and yet do another. We need to respond to this call. Consider these scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul is speaking, and he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He says in the next chapter, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, I read these scriptures and I think, well, it is incumbent upon me to purify myself from the stains of walking according to the flesh. Well, how can I do that? Doesn't the blood sanctify us? Yes. Doesn't the blood cleanse us? Yes. Doesn't it make us white as snow? Absolutely. But the blood of Jesus Christ is not going to do this. Do that. If we continue walking in the ways of the flesh. How do we purify ourselves from the stains of walking according to the flesh? By not walking in them anymore. We have to decide. I'm not going to walk the way that I did before. I don't care if I was raised in it. I don't care if 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 my family, generation to generation to generation, have been involved in these holidays, in these works of the flesh. And it doesn't even have to be holidays. It could be anything that was contrary to God, to his commandments. We have to decide for ourselves that we're not going to walk in them anymore. So we've got to come out from among these things and be set apart. Because he has called us to be holy. And holy means to be separated from sin. To be separated from the things of the world to be separated from the kingdom of darkness and, at the same time, consecrated or dedicated to God and the things of the kingdom of God and light. So why? Why is it 
that we who, who call ourselves Christians, who are born again Christians, why do we continue to walk in the ways of the world which are contrary to God? Why do we continue to participate in outrightly, and some subtly, ungodly religious practices, and then call that which is evil good, harmless, and ineffectual against our spiritual lives? We truly are only deceiving ourselves if we think that we can continue participating in these pagan, heathen practices of old and think that because we dress it in Christian attire, that God is going to somehow, some way overlook it and accept it. We are warned from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and then light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. How is it that we, the children of God, we who are supposedly priests and kings of the Most High God, how is it that we are continuing to practice and involve ourselves in pagan rituals? Granted, I get it. They are cleverly camouflaged. I mean, they just don't look like they're pagan, evil, wicked things. They, they're, they're marketed, as I said in previous episodes, and dressed so pretty, so beautiful. But they were originally used to worship and revere other gods. There's no ignoring that fact. I mean, you could, to your own deception and demise, but like I said, I told the Lord many, many years ago, I don't want to suffer in hell, in, 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 in the lake of fire, because I believed in a lie. No, Lord, let show me the truth. And then, just allow me to make the decision whether I'm going to accept it or reject it and then either be rewarded for choosing wisely or be punished and disciplined for choosing wrongly. But at least allow me to make the decision. Let me know the truth. What do the scriptures say about drinking of the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord? trying to do both, trying to walk in darkness in the flesh or while simultaneously trying to walk in the light, in the spirit. It's like straddling a fence. You got one leg in darkness land and you got another leg in the light land and when you slip and fall on that fence and one leg is on one side and the other leg is on the other you are going to fall on the fence and it's going to hurt immensely 
But go back to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 20-22 says this. Paul says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I mean, Paul's absolutely clear. You cannot have one foot in the darkness and the other foot in the light. You cannot be of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of devils. You can't be eating from the Lord's table and eating from the table of devils. That's only going to provoke the Lord to jealousy and to anger. Furthermore, he says just a couple verses later in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32, he said, Wherefore, therefore ye eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Whatever you do, you make sure that you do it all to the glory of God. Now, this particular context of 1 Corinthians was spoken in reference to the communion that Christians partake of, you know, the bread, the wine. But understand this. The apostles knew about the rituals and the rites of the nations that surrounded them. They preached against partaking of them. This is the new covenant. This is not old covenant, even though it was explicitly stated then, but in the new covenant, it's also repeated again. In other words, the biblical principle of the separation of the people of God from the practices, the rituals, and the customs of pagan nations that was in the old is also continued and found in the new. They preached against partaking of them because they knew that it would incite Jesus to jealousy, just as it incited Jesus to jealousy over the Israelites in the Old Covenant. If the Israelites of the Old Covenant began to partake in the rites and the rituals of the pagan nations, that angered the Lord. Well, Paul is saying that if you do that now, being a New Covenant Christian, that's going to anger the Lord and incite him to jealousy, just as it did in the days of old. The apostles knew that their celebrations contained sacrifices. Their festivals, their feasts contained sacrifices. It wasn't just to merely wood or stone idols. But clearly it says it was to demons. They sacrificed to devils. Paul said you can't partake of both Jesus and of demons. It's one or the other. You need to choose. And remember, Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, Paul furthermore commanded the following in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that he henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness? But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught of him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to deceitful lust, and be renewed, there's that word again, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So as new creatures in Messiah, we are obligated to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's 1 John 1, 7. We're not, we're not to any longer walk as the rest of the world who walk in darkness. Again, the word was having their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God through ignorance. We're, we're not that way anymore. When we come to Christ, we have revelations that help us realize we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you hear and obey Jesus, you will not walk in the ways of the old man who is deluded in its lust. You will walk in the renewing of the spirit of your mind. And you will put on a new creature. This new creature was created in righteousness and mercy when we were born again. Now the Jews believe and understand correctly that there is one God. That's the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. The Jews understand and believe correctly that there is no one else beside him. That's Isaiah 45, verse 5. The Jews believe and understand correctly that there are no other gods that can be compared to him. That comes from Isaiah 46, verse 5 and 9. And the Jews believe and understand correctly that he alone made all of creation. That's also from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, and chapter 45, verse 7 and 18. The Jews were explicitly taught by God that he is one, that they should love him alone with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, and that this was the greatest commandment. They knew that their neighboring nations paid homage and worshipped a plethora of gods. And they had designated schedules of time to celebrate their holidays for them. And they were explicitly told to not learn the way of the heathen or be dismayed at the signs of the heavens as the heathens are dismayed. They were commanded not to follow along in their customs, for they were useless. That's from Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2. Now that is a simply akin to him saying in the new covenant to no longer walk as the rest of the nations. That's what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. Our Lord Jesus never, nope, not even once, 
participated in these pagan celebrations, which were around in his day. The Jews assuredly had not celebrated these pagan celebrations in Jerusalem, but they were surrounded with neighboring nations who did. All of them had celebrations and designated times, which are called holidays today, for their gods. These celebrations had been around long before God ever manifested in the flesh, and they were the same practices that God said for Israel not to learn or partake of them. Estre, the Teutonic goddess of fertility, Mithra, the infant god of rock, the god of light, Samhain, the god, the lord of the dead, the lord of death. All of these I've addressed in the previous podcast. We are not to practice or learn of them. The only celebrations that Jesus took part in were those that were held in Jerusalem, which is why I asked you that question last podcast. Do you even know what are the celebrations of the Lord? What are the feasts of the Lord that he ordains? There were, there are, and I've I've shared it with you at the beginning. They were ordained by God to honor and remember his promises. All of his works of faithfulness, which he had shown Israel in the past, and not a single apostle before or after Jesus' ascension ever took part in celebrations that are now known today as Christmas, Halloween, Easter, I didn't even mention, and I could have, Valentine's, or any other pagan celebration. Now, granted, these names were not used back then. I get it. I'm not saying they were. But their celebrations, their festivals, they were practiced back then. Maybe not Halloween because that came out of the 8th, 9th century through the Druid priests. Okay, I get that. I understand that. Try not to find fault with any little detail. I I do understand. I'm trying to give you an overall understanding and picture. But the worship and the, the veneration of Mithra, that was all the way from Persia. That was way before God manifested in the flesh. The Greek god of fertility, Estre, that was before God manifested in the flesh in the first century. The apostles simply knew better than to mix and fellowship with these practices. They knew that light had no fellowship with darkness. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14. The light in which they walked in it, it, it exposed the lies and the deception contained in the darkness of these practices. And they even commanded the Jews and the Gentiles to abstain from these things. You can read that in Acts chapter 15, verse 20 and verse 29. Well, what happened? Why do so many quote-unquote Christians celebrate the originally pagan, ungodly, holy days, holidays. And in a nutshell, I realized after studying it and researching it for myself that two to three centuries after the apostles' death or sleeping, a man named Constantine rose to power in Rome, and he needed a way to amalgamate 
and conform the nations, the cultures, the barbarians that he was conquering into his new Roman Empire. Different than the Roman Empire of old because now it was becoming a religious empire. His idea was to partner himself with the Catholic Church and quote-unquote Christianize the barbarians and their cultural practices, which were the celebrations to their gods. So, for instance, instead of them worshiping the sun god named Mithra, who evolved from the god of Egypt, Ra, they changed the name and said in a nutshell, now his name is Jesus. You can continue your practices, but you will use the name of Jesus for your god. Hmm. So they simply changed the names. They painted these gods, which Paul referred to as demons, devils, with different colors, and called it, quote-unquote, Christian holidays and celebrations. Have you ever heard the phrase, quote, a rose by any other name is still a rose? So for the same reason that I don't celebrate Halloween because of its ungodly origins and veneration of evil, and that's the one that's most obvious, for the same reason I don't celebrate Christmas, Easter, Valentine's, it it doesn't matter to me what color you paint it, red, green, white, blue, We should not be ignorant of the ways of the devil. That's 2 Corinthians 2.11. His plan is to get you to compromise in any area of your life, in any way, shape, or form. And according to 2 Corinthians 11.14, he'll even come to you as an angel of light if you don't discern him. So in our family, we chose not to drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. That's how we saw these holidays from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 20 and 21. We choose Jesus and his holy way. Did you know that there is a way of holiness? It was spoken of In Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 8 through 10. Let me read it for you. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So here is a prophecy that speaks of a way 
that was coming. It's called the way of holiness. And in actuality, the way, quote unquote, the way has, it's already been established. Jesus said, I am the way. The loathsome and offensive are not going to walk this way. It will only be for what I quote unquote call the way walkers. Those who choose to walk the way and take up their cross and follow him. And fools will not dare walk this way because they refuse to repent of their evil ways and follow him. Now on this way of holiness, there's not a lion, there's not a ravenous creature waiting to consume those who are walking on this way because this is the way of holiness. The redeemed of the Lord will return on this way. And when they return on this way, they're going to return with shouting and eternal cheer. All sorrow and grief is going to flee away. Why? Because they have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And these who return and come to Zion will shout for joy in the Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy Lamb of God. So let me finish this by reading Joshua chapter 24, 15. I started with Joshua 24, 14, and I'll end with 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. So let it be known, there is but one God, and his name is Jesus, whom I serve. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and we're blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash J Ben Jesus or Cash App dollar sign J Ben Jesus or Venmo J Ben Jesus that's J B E N J E S U S God bless